Welcome to episode one of Ultra Transformation, a weekly podcast for business leaders looking to increase efficiency, grow margin, and enhance output. You might be on the verge of a major enterprise software overhaul, otherwise known as digital transformation, or just looking to better understand today's business climate so you can position your company for profitable growth. This podcast is produced by Ultra Consultants and the dozens of full-time manufacturing and distribution industry veterans who work consulting with hundreds of mid-market companies in North America to further their goals. Today, we hear from practice leader Tony Young about the impetus for digital transformation and the importance of executive leadership involvement throughout the process. Later, our head of private equity engagement shares technology strategies for mergers, acquisitions, and ultimately growth. But we start with a look at the spate of recent layoffs in the technology sector and discover both the lessons we can learn and what this might mean for the broader economy in our new segment, Cut to the Chase. After Meta, Facebook's parent, unfriended 11,000 employees last November, the rest of the tech world seemed to follow suit, using the moment to purge a glut of post-pandemic hires. Layoffs have engulfed big tech companies like Google, who has 12,000 employees now searching for their next role, Microsoft with 10,000 out the window, and Amazon, who gave notice to 18,000 employees in a sadder version of home delivery. But were these essentially seasonal and short-term hires anyways? Some yes, some no. Microsoft's ranks, for example, burgeoned by more than 57,000 in the past few years. So letting 10,000 go, just 5% of its workforce, shouldn't be seen as a sign of weakness. After all, it earned over $200 billion last year, and today it has a market cap approaching $1.7 trillion. Microsoft is just phasing out certain projects and streamlining others. One of those affected is the product support division for its legacy ERP software. No need to be alarmed, the company is still supporting its software as agreed, but there's less and less support needed as customers migrate over to its cloud-based solutions, requiring fewer personnel. But at Google, layoffs spread through nearly every group, including the majority of the Area 120 team, Google's famed employee project incubator. Even employees with high-performance reviews and some managers making over half a million dollars were part of the firings. At Amazon, many of the layoffs were of employees working on the Prime Air drone delivery project at multiple sites, including its headquarters, just as it is testing the service in a few more cities next month. So, Why big tech and why now? With revenue soaring for the tech companies who entertained, educated, and kept deliveries coming during the pandemic, they made heavy capital investments in new hires and in new technology. Now facing a shifting economic landscape, they're simply making smart adjustments to their workforce, as well as cuts to departments whose life cycle may be waning. With the current economic uncertainty, they all just decided to dial back a few notches, or at least use it as an excuse to cut costs. So let's cut to the chase. What can we learn? Leaders have to make decisions that are often unpopular. No one celebrated Microsoft for quietly hitting 57,000 employees, but it faces backlash for releasing just 10,000 two years later. Profitability must be the primary goal of a business. Yes, care for your employees, but if you don't make a profit, you soon won't have any. The flexibility built into today's enterprise software systems makes labor planning and scheduling simpler and far more precise than ever before, resulting in highly efficient man hours linked to the greatest product output. This reduces the need for temporary workers and increases employee satisfaction and tenure. For our one-on-one conversation, we listened to a portion of our LinkedIn Live session with Aaron Heifel and Tony Young as he spoke about the drivers that cause businesses to start on a digital transformation pathway. And, and we, we, we mentioned and we talked a little bit at the beginning uh, about operational margin pain points often, you know, drive a company to start on a digital transformation. Uh, but, you know, it can also be 
to expand operations, future-proof your organization, tighter operations. Um, you know, we've worked with hundreds of companies um, uh, to, to go through this in some, some form or fashion and really looking to build value into their organization. And, and what are some of the ways that we have accomplished that and, and really help to achieve, help organizations to achieve some of their targets around growth um, in, in areas of improvement? Well, you know, we have a lot of companies who are just looking to uh, expand expand their feature set, right? So they may be on an old platform and they realize that maybe they need e-commerce or they need to have a greater uh, forecasting or whatever capability. So a lot of these uh, features such as customer portals and whatnot um, can be cost effectively in, implemented in new uh, and, you know, new platforms versus trying to build these on top of, you know, old technology. Uh, like I said, a lot of companies are not necessarily starting on this road to drive costs, but they're looking to expand into new markets or new geographies and, and have features that uh, they were not able to uh, support in the past. Right. So um, one of the other things we see is that sometimes these these efforts are launched because of, of a new hire. There's a new CIO or, or a new person comes onto the team and they recognize that the company is not going to be able to uh, uh, achieve their expansion or whatever their objectives might be, you know, if they continue to rely on the old technology. So we, we really try to stress as part of our effort when we're working with companies to uh, understand that uh, a, a lot of the, the growth and, and features that are needed to keep up with uh, their com competitors and, and, and to provide, you know, best in class service uh, require an investment in, in some of these newer technologies. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, what are some of the steps to take as an organization to prepare for effective change? So I think that uh, one of the things that, that's important is to understand existing processes, right, and, and have uh, a, a roadmap of, of where you want to take the business, right? Uh, technology focused programs, technology replacement programs don't tend to be successful uh, because the uh, the notion of trying to replicate what you do today uh, with new software is, is not the, the right way to go. We try to stress that the processes and the, uh, the, the process by how you want to run your business is where you start and then you purchase and implement technology actually to support that. So that, that vision of where you want to take the company and what you want to be in, in five years is, is critical. Um, I think another thing is senior leadership commitment, right? Um, no matter how big the case is for change on the business case side, you got to have senior leadership willing to step in front, champion the project, and take ownership, not just be bystanders. So I think that if a company is thinking they're ready to go down this road, they have to make sure that they have senior uh, leadership commitment. I think that's a big deal. Finally, we end with a look at how enterprise technology impacts valuation and investment strategy. When PE firms look to acquire a business for their portfolio, the business's current enterprise technology can greatly affect its valuation today and in the future, which in turn affects the determination of a fair and competitive offer. Our private equity leader, Andrew, explains what and how our consultants can derive information about the organization's technology, even pre-letter of intent. Additionally, he explains how different investment strategies should narrate the technology strategy and why. Let's listen in as he simplifies this value-driven topic. 
So what we want to do is talk about where can we execute diligence and why it's so important. The short answer is IT technology or enterprise technology rather is expensive. You know, I think it's important always to consider the applications and the application stack as a primary driver of IT expense, right? Even if the applications are current, modern, uh, capable, driving the business forward successfully, they require day-to-day costs, right, in the form of support for operations, help desks, uh, maintenance contracts with their publishers, all of the hardware networking, kind of the components that make them run, right? That list goes on and on and on. And in many cases, they're driving a significant portion of annual IT cost in some form or fashion. And we see this time and time again as we engage with the different clients. So I'm spending this much. My IT spend is in, in range. My Maybe my average cost per user per year is roughly in range. But is that going to hold or am I going to need to make some kind of change? Now, when we talk about changing applications, you know, if the applications aren't cutting it um, for whatever reason, they don't support the business, they're not going to support growth, they're not providing the analytics or the metrics that are required, and now we're talking about changing them, then it's a whole new consideration, right? It's a whole other caliber of expense that we're potentially talking about here. Not all applications are created equal. So naturally, there's business applications in the small medium sector, kind of the mid-market, and then your more enterprise level. The costs of those licenses naturally go up as you move up the enterprise, or, or sorry, the software class. And naturally, the number of user licenses required tends to go up. When we talk about software subtotal costs, they start to move up pretty quick. Now, you also have the service component. Obviously, the heavier applications, there's more more switches to flip during the configuration conversation, so those implementations take longer. Um, their rates tend to be a little higher. And of course, there's SaaS or software as a subscription, right? So your NetSuites, your Microsoft Dynamics 365s. So if you find yourself looking at a prospective acquisition um, or getting ready to sell, I think it's important to understand what the seller or the buyer might be looking at if they think that for some reason they really need to replace these applications, right? And it's significant. And it's significant not just in cost, but a disruption to the business and the change it requires. So due diligence and how we can start to get our eyes on that sooner than later, we kind of break it into two, two buckets. Um, there's kind of two sides of the fence, and that's really around the letter of intent portion. So the good news, you know, we can do some level of diligence pre-LOI. Uh, naturally, that's limited access and scope. Um, obviously, if it's pre-LOI, there may be one or two stakeholders at the target that are aware of what's going on uh, that may be able to provide some insight. Um, but even, you know, we can still start there and get our eyes to some degree on something, right, um, through data requests and, and taking a look at different, different artifacts. And then there's the post-LOI diligence, naturally deeper in scope. We would generally prefer to, to get probably some level of on-site engagement. And this is where we can really start to develop plans, right? Pre-LOI, we're identifying focal areas, areas of concern, um, recommendations for areas to dig deeper or things to consider as you progress through the deal cycle. Uh, Post-LOI is where we're developing those detailed project plans, timelines, budgets, and roadmaps that really have some meat on them. So pre-LOI, like I said, it is somewhat less rigorous than the diligence that we can do post-LOI or in a post-sale environment, right? But we can still assess enterprise technology and applications, right? We can start to get our eyes on cost. You know, what are the maintenance contracts look like? What does the licensing look like? 
Um, does it fall in line with those industry benchmarks of, in terms of revenue or license costing? Um, who's supporting it? What does the internal IT organizational structure look like, right? And do we see gaps, holes, concerns, anything like that? And then the other thing we can see here is we start to get a feel for fit. So as you can imagine, different industries have different application stacks. Um, you know, the requirements around regulatory uh, compliance, um, you know, things like recall management, document retention, right? Those are huge in, say, pharmaceuticals or food, uh, maybe less so if you're making screwdrivers, right? So we want to make sure that we're understanding how those applications may or may not be supporting the regulatory environment of, of a potential business um, and whether or not they support the general sector that they're in, right? If it's complex industrial or if it's a retail shop, right? Do the tools make sense for the job? So we can start to look at that. We can start to understand, you know, the benchmarks against the industry segment. Um, like I said, current spend, system capabilities, all of that. And from a process perspective, kind of how entwined is the current business, for example, in the case of a carve-out, right? You know, could we carve it out? How easily could we do it? What alternative applications might exist that would suffice for a target like this that could help us get off that TSA sooner than later? Really what we want to understand here is what's what's the overall objective, right? You're considering the acquisition of this target. Um, what's the broader perspective here? Is it plug into the portfolio? Uh, is it a standalone organization? Are we looking for growth? Are we looking to cut costs, right? It's never too early from our perspective to start at least looking at the enterprise technology and understanding what it might mean as you start engaging with that potential acquisition. So on the pre-letter of intent side, the way we're going to do this generally is a conversation with any stakeholders that we may have access to. Um, you know, maybe it's a CFO, maybe it's a CIO, a CEO, but start to understand that. Um, at least understand what's the history of change, um, what their technology strategy has been up to this point, if we can get there, and understand how it is or isn't serving them. And then understanding their business strategy, right? We want to look at things like supply chain, site synergies, operational capability, right? Is our product lines A and B provided out of two plants, one plant, right? So we can start to understand how they may or may not fit together um, and how they might fit into your broader portfolio and ultimately your, your kind of investment plans. You know, when we talk about diligence from our perspective, the first step is, is always the same, right? It's, it's understanding what is your objective, right? We can get into the organization or the potential target. We can take a look at anything and everything. Um, but we really need to look at that through the lens of your longer-term strategy, right? Is this a short-term hold? Is it a long-term hold? Um, what's your time frame? Um, how does it plug into the broader portfolio, if at all? So that's what we're kind of looking at. And I think IT options vary depending obviously on where you're headed, but they kind of break into those three buckets, right? Are we expanding the portfolio? Are we looking for growth here and now? Or are we just trying to get cost out of the equation? Now, if it's expanding the portfolio, right, the common theme in this type of a strategy is to understand whether or not we're trying to establish what we would call a platform for growth. But are we looking for an application that we can not just get maybe this acquisition on, but future acquisitions, right? So if I bought a snack food manufacturer and my plan is to buy 10 more in the next five years, um, am I looking for an application that I can quickly and rapidly onboard those acquisitions onto and that will service them all effectively, 
right? And that's really about your growth objective and making sure that these applications are scalable, right? In cases like that, we're more often than not talking about software as a service applications, you know, your Microsofts, your NetSuites, things like that, that can really support that and be agile. Um, it's also important though, to understand the industry, right? Um, if it's snack food, there's a certain set of requirements there. Um, if it's pharma, there's a different set. But at the end of the day, it's about scalability when we're talking about expanding portfolio through common kind of uh, organizations. The other though is single company growth. So we certainly work with, in, in many instances where there's a potential acquisition or a just completed buy, and maybe there aren't a lot of other organizations in the portfolio that look like that. Maybe we're not sure that there will be, uh, but we need to support and stabilize that. And in those cases, we're trying to grow that business. It's usually a conversation of business process kind of front and center, right? How are they running? How do we stabilize it? How do we make sure that it's, it's running smooth and lean? And then aligning those systems. And of course, regardless of what we're trying to do, we're always looking at kind of reducing that support expense for those applications and processes. And the other is the cost cutting. And in these cases, it really is dependent on kind of a deep dive, right? We need to fully understand the application costs. We need to understand those licensing, maintenance, support, help desk, whatever it may be um, that's driving those applications and making sure that we're taking a look at how we could potentially reduce the application stack, right? Technology is great. It enables business and it can be a, a wonderful tool. Um, but sometimes, you know, there is such a thing as uh, too much of a good thing, right? Uh, we see this most often, I think, in kind of carve-out scenarios where the TSA is providing a set of applications from maybe a larger parent that are just oversized for, for what the carve-out is going to look like. And in those cases, we're always looking to move to lower cost, right? What's a viable option to keep this business up and running, serve the customers, but cut that expense out of the mix? So just briefly to recap here, um, enterprise applications, consider them a huge or primary driver, at least, of your overall IT expense and really in terms of your business capability, right? They are the tools that are running the business. From our perspective, we could always understand more sooner than later. So whether it's you know a pre-LOI initiative, whether it's pre-closing you know, the deal, or even post-sale, or post buy, you know, it's never too late to get in there and to, to look at that. But the point being that we can certainly get in there and make some some informed assumptions and decisions and provide some insights very, very early in most cases. And then finally, it's defining the best options, laying those out and executing them, but making sure that they're aligned with your broader plans. That was fantastic. I appreciate a great systematic laying out of this linear process. Obviously, the work can be challenging, which is why Ultra Consultants has a plethora of content on our website, ultraconsultants.com, on our YouTube channel, our LinkedIn page, and of course, this podcast, all designed to give you practical handles to simplify the journey, accelerate growth, and ultimately build your business profitably. Subscribe to this podcast to hear business process improvement and digital transformation case studies from Fortune 500 leaders, cutting-edge enterprise technology and automation tips, one-on-one -on -one conversations with industry experts about supply chain transparency, overcoming staffing challenges, and much more. Of course, feel free to share and review our podcast and reach out if you want to talk to one of our consultants by visiting ultraconsultants.com. We'll see you next time.